Foster care adoption is not a financial question. It's a heart question. I say that because after you spend zero to $2,500 on the process, get the federal adoption tax credit, and the children you adopted receive free healthcare until age 18, this really isn't a money question. It's a decision you make with your heart. Are you willing to help a child or sibling group heal and thrive? Are you willing to adjust your life to be a child's forever family? But more deeply, are you willing to deal with your own past wounds and hurts to become an adoptive parent? Hi there, my name is Marcy Bursack and I am your personal foster care adoption mentor. I've been through this experience myself adopting a pair of siblings. My heart for the remaining 113,000 children who are still waiting to be adopted led me to use a stimulus payment to publish the Forgotten Adoption Option, a 70 page guide through this process, and then launch this podcast a month later. Then in 2022, I wrote a children's book called Are You a Forever Family? And I launched the Forgotten Adoption Option app, which spells out exactly what to expect if you plan to grow your family through foster care adoption. You can find all of these resources at ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. I am so delighted that you're tuning in and I wanna welcome you to be real, real about your heart, real about any questions that are running through your mind. In season three, monthly episodes will cover strategies for thriving as an adoptive family. You might also enjoy season one, where you can hear personal stories of adoptive parents and adopted children, and in season two episodes, where guests explain how to adopt U.S. children who are waiting for you in the foster care system. Whether you want to begin the adoption process right now or in the future, my heart is to help conquer the confusion and fears of the foster care adoption process so that fewer children continue to wait to be adopted. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. In this episode, we're going to cover current adoption trends according to data and research. I'm joined today by adoptive dad, Ryan Hanlon. Ryan actually met at the Angels and Adoption Leadership Institute at the end of 2022 in Washington, D.C. So folks might have seen me on social with like Roy Blunt and like talking to people. Ryan and I are at this like expo thing. So hi, Ryan, you're here. Great to see you again, Marcy. I'm glad we connected uh, when we did at the CCAI advocacy event. I am too, although it's funny. So Ryan's part, he's part of this fair that we attended. And I specifically remember, I like pounced you with questions. Like I probably asked at least 12. I remember I, that I too, yeah. I wasn't <laughs> sure. I was like, I think I'm totally turning this guy off, but I want to know, like you're, you're like the National Council for Adoption. Like, you know, all the things. So I wasn't sure how it would go, but I knew that he know about the foster care adoption space and about adoption. And so I thought I overwhelmed him, but he was really kind after our conversation. And he actually shared some additional resources and said, you could send more if I would email you. And I thought, okay, I haven't totally like ruined this. Hopefully oh, we can well, you, let me say what I remember. I remember yeah. we, we had a research report that we, we were giving out to people. We were talking about adoption and before you even write it, you just wanted to know, does this mention foster care adoption? Does this, you're not just talking about other types of adoption, are you? I mean, you were, there was a passion there and and I think that's awesome. And, and fortunately I was able to say, yes, we do. <laughs> we did include that. So um, that. It, it was a, it was a great way to connect. Well, I'm so glad it came across that way because I've, I've done so much research in this space that sometimes I'm like, but there's, they're not talking about the third way. Like where's the third way? So the email turned into a phone call uh, Ryan even went so far with like just organically, we started di uh, designing a future research study, which stay tuned on that in the future. And we bonded over our own family adoption story. So that's kind of what's leading 
to today's podcast. And I hope you guys can feel Ryan's energy. I think he brings so much to the space because he's got the lived experience. And so we'll just kind of dive in as you're an adoptive dad. Can you tell us, like, how did you enter this space as an oh, adoptive sure. You, you know, being an adoptive dad, I, I came about that differently than a lot of families. I was already working in the field of adoption. In fact, my wife and I met at work working at an adoption agency. Okay, that's and cute. So that, that's not how most people, you know, begin their adoption process. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, we were very informed about adoption. Uh, when we chose to, to um, pursue an adoption, we had three kids in our home and um, added the fourth through adoption. Our son was born in China. He joined our family in 2018. He was about a year and a half at that point. And um, it's, it's been an awesome journey. He, he brings us um, so much uh, joy and um, his, his siblings, of course, love him. And, and he's just a, a great part of our family. I love this like work romance story. That's so cute. But tell us, so I know some listeners are thinking, okay, wait, Ryan, what I just heard is you had biological kids, you did this. And I, I often get asked, like, does birth order matter? And I know sometimes it's opinion versus what works. It sounds like you guys adopted in birth order. That's correct. Right. Yeah. And that was really important, especially to my wife. She um, was um, working as an adoption social worker, and that was the advice she was giving other families. And and so, you know, she didn't want to be telling families one thing and for us to be doing another. And uh, we were uh, we were thrilled with the kids in our family. We saw there was room in our family for another one. And so um, when our then youngest was a little over a year, we added um, our now our fourth child to the family. No, she was um, she must have been, I guess, about three um, when he joined our family uh, at about a year and a half. Yeah, maybe you started the process earlier in that kind of story. Do you want to share? Because some people might not know why is it recommended. It's not always required, right? But why why is birth order sometimes a better path to take when you're thinking about adoption? That you want to have your biological kids and then adoptive kids, or at least think about sequence. Yeah, you know, um, there there's lots of exceptions where families have thrived doing something different. So I don't want to say it's the, the only way right. that a family can or should grow. Um, one of the things that we had thought through was, what is the experience that our children in our family have already had? However, they had joined, had they joined by adoption, you know, it would be the same thing. What's their experience? How are they relating to one another? What's the experience going to be like when we add to the mix. And it can be disruptive when we bring a new child in. And this is especially true for families where we're displacing the oldest. And then that that status as the oldest or the sometimes the leader is taken away from a child. That can be really difficult. And so, um, you know, we wanted to um, just maintain the order that we had and and uh, grow um, the the uh, way that that many families do, where the children continue to to get older and the ones that are added are younger. And so, um, it was uh, important, as I said, especially to my wife, but for both of us. And um, and and we're glad that we did. And and certainly, I think for the kids that were in our family, it was easier for them to understand what that experience was and for them to. Um, have had experiences before our son joined the family so that they could, um, so that, you know, they were able to, you know, understand where he was at in life. Um, you know, one thing I'll also say is that if families are going to have children by birth, obviously that that first year, but but even more than that, takes up a lot of time and parental attention resources. And so um, it can be really difficult if we're also adding a child where we're putting a lot of you know, time and parental resources 
And we want to make sure we have the capacity to do that. And so for, you know, one of the things that we had thought through was um, if we're going to grow our family by adoption, you know, we want to make sure we're not going to want to continue to have children by birth. Again, sometimes it happens, sometimes it happens by surprise, but for us, that was the the plan that we had. It sounds very intentional, and I, I really appreciate you sharing your own. I don't have biological children, so you have a different kind of view on this than I do, but I actually just talked to um, someone that I worked with that she has had her second baby, and so young infant at home, and she's looking at this, and it's interesting because I think what's beautiful in this space is oftentimes people have a heart for this and they're going, well, I don't know if it's the right time. How, how do I know? And I think you gave some great takeaways on thinking through when and how and, and being thoughtful in that design of it. I think that's really, really helpful. So, okay, you're still in the adoption space. You met your wife, you stayed in the zone and now you get to do research, which is so interesting among other things. What kind of projects do you get to work so, on, right? Yeah, I was working at an adoption agency. Now I work for the National Council for Adoption, where we do, you know, bigger picture issues, research, education, advocacy. In terms of research, we're always looking at new projects that are going to give informative information to the public, to policymakers, to adoption professionals, to future adoptive families, and to existing um, individuals who are impacted by adoption, like um, expectant parents who are considering adoption, birth parents. Um, individuals who themselves are adopted, um, you know, just, you know, a lot of times we talk about adoption, we talk about kids, but adult adoptees, you know, adoption can have a lifelong impact. And we often are hearing from adults at an older age who are saying, you know, this is still something that's a dynamic in my life. I'm looking for resources or I'm looking to connect or I'm looking to do some type of search and reunion they don't know where to turn and we want to have resources for them so that that they can make really you know informed decisions we want to be able to point them to say an adoption competent therapist to you know process whatever it is that they're thinking about um, and I so love. we're developing a lot of partnerships with other organizations in our ability to help meet those needs which is so great because I'm from from this perspective, I'm thinking like the lifetime of what adoption means, right? Like some people, I know I get asked a lot, like, when's your gotcha day? And I'm like, we don't celebrate it because that to us, like we moved in together well before that day. Uh, and, and that's just a choice that our families made. But I love that it's not just, it's a one, you know, it's a date or a time that adoption occurs that we're really thinking through. You're really thinking through, okay, this person has even grown into adulthood um, and, and has different life things going on, right? I think different seasons of our lives, whether that's marriage or whether that's education or loss of someone, like there's so many triggers that can kind of remind us that we need to continuously unpack our own unique stories in whatever way that is. So that's, that's super great. Yeah, you're, you're right, Marcy. And that's part of the the funny thing when we talk about adoption in terms of our language and I, I, you're married. And so you could talk about your, um, your marriage and say, I was married and you can look back on the date you were married, but you can also say, I am married. And we can do the same thing with adoption. We can say, you know, for my family, we adopted in the past, you know, in the spring of 2018. And I can say, you know, our son is adopted. And because there is some aspect to which uh, we are still an adoptive family, it's a lifelong impact, really not just on our son. Of course, it has a, an, an enormous impact on him, but it's an impact on everyone in our family and, and others in the community. And so um, we, we, we want to look at it both as something that happened in the past and something that has this longer term um, impact and to be mindful and thoughtful about how that's going to um, be present throughout, you know, certainly all of our lives and especially for, in, in our case, for our son, you know, in your case, for, for your kids who've, um, 
they're, they're going to be processing this at different milestones too. Yeah, that's so good. So Ryan, I'm thinking, I know some of our listeners are practitioners. So some are educators, some are child welfare workers, some are therapists. And I think some of them heard your term adoption informed, right? And we hear trauma informed, right? And we, we I think we all kind of were like, okay, that's like a thing going around right now. I know how to get that training. What if we're in those professions and we're thinking, I don't know that I have that tool in my tool belt. How can I get more tools, get more training to become an adoption informed practitioner in my space? Where would you send people? Yeah. One of the places I would, I would encourage them to go is the Center for Adoption Support and Education. They often just go by their acronym CASE. They have a free training in adoption competency. So certainly if they're a mental health provider, they can go through a full course for free um, to become adoption competent. And this has been funded by HHS. They have a grant to help make this available. And this is you know, something that um, state child welfare um, authorities are um, participating in and private practitioners are able to participate in as well. So I would point them to our partners at CASE. Um, and then I would point them towards, you know, they could sign up to get ongoing um, articles and newsletters from, you know, my organization, NCFA, uh, the National Council for Adoption, to get newsletters from other organizations that are going to continue to help inform them about information. Marcy, you mentioned teachers. Teachers um, have been asked about adoption and they are very uninformed, but that's not what they want. They want more information. We ask right. a lot out of our teachers. We ask them to be competent really in everything because we we send, you know, our kids, uh, not just with, you know, um, adoption in their past, but but whatever their life circumstances are, the public schools and, and, and private schools, they, they see it all. And we know from our research, the majority of adoptees are getting an educational accommodation. They're getting either an IEP or a 504 plan as part of their school experience. But they're doing that in a context where teachers are really uninformed about adoption. And so what we can do as professionals is we can be supporting our teachers by giving them more information. And we can be supporting parents to understand how can we advocate for our kids that are in this public school setting so that they're able to utilize these accommodations in a manner that's going to be beneficial to our kiddos so that our parents know, okay, this is the norm. If the majority of adoptive families are going to get an educational accommodation, I should expect that for myself. You know, most of us don't know what that is until we've gone through it. And, you know, adoption professionals need to have the resources available so that families can be successful in that process. That's so good. I love the validation that like, this is kind of normal, right? And it's okay to ask for it. And um, I have that situation in my own family. I won't go into detail right now, but I, I agree with you. Like to know that like, this is a common way to help our kids be successful and to help them have the needs that they need. And, I, and thank you. My, my husband's a teacher. So I will, I will be passing this great, great information along. And I know, so the council itself, the National Council on Adoption, you also provide training and resources for a different segment that I think is incredible. You provide it for expectant parents, birth parents, adopted parents. We talked a little bit about the adopted individuals and adoption professionals. Can you shine light on the kinds of things maybe you provide kind of to those earlier categories, expectant parents and birth parents and adopted parents? Like what are things that we can go to you for, find and learn? Well, a big thing we want to do is we want them to hear the voices of others who've had the similar experience. A lot of times when we hear from adults who are calling us about their past experience, they're saying, you know, I placed my child for adoption 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and I've never met another birth parent, 
or you know i am an, an adopted individual myself i was adopted you know a long time ago and you know i still have a lot of questions i don't know where to begin so we want them to hear stories of other people who have had similar circumstances so that they don't feel alone and so that they can know there isn't just one experience that that these individuals have there's not a a definite path that everyone has to take and it's okay to at different times in our life look back and reflect upon our experiences very differently and so you know there's a wide diversity of individuals who place children for adoption and individuals who adopt children and adopted individuals themselves there's no one way to look at them there's no one way to understand them and the more we can be sharing their stories the more we can recognize that there are some threads that might be the same throughout and some things that might be um you know different different individuals who have very wildly different experiences and how they've been responsive to that. So we want to we want to share their stories. We also want to be pointing towards resources. So when we find those common threads, it might be something like um, responding to uh, grief and the the loss that has been experienced, or you know, understanding what it means to maintain a connection with birth family even after adoption. Or um, you mentioned trauma earlier, which is going to be something that many individuals who are adopted have experienced in their past. So if there are common themes, you know, what what are different helpful or effective responses to those? What, what are information sources that can help us take a next step towards being, um, not, not that we're always going to be able to resolve every past issue, but we might move towards a better place. We might move towards something that looks like healing or reconciliation of some sort, or towards building a, a better, more positive relationship with someone that we've been estranged from. And, you know, a lot of times we don't know where to start. And so we want to have resources to say, it's okay that you don't know. And here's, here's maybe where you can look. Here's where you can go for that next step. There's so much validation in what you're sharing, Ryan. And, and like, I don't know that I'll have a listener specifically reach out, but I can feel it that there's someone going, I'm not the only one that feels this way. And I, I also didn't know where to go. You know, even on the earlier part, we were talking about adapting school curriculum and, and how the classroom is with like a IEP or a 504. What's interesting about that is I don't think I knew when I adopted my kids or even had them as, as children still in the foster care system that that was like a normal thing that I could advocate for. I found out later because of some behaviors they were like, oh, this is like a thing, you know? And I think it's so liberating to help people know, like, this is really here for you. You don't have to wait and regret that you didn't know. Now you can be informed and you can share these things, which is, I think, so life-giving, Ryan. So I just appreciate the work that you all are doing that's that's helping to bridge these kind of silent needs. And, and, and just think about that. You said your husband's a teacher, you know, and so your household's more equipped than most to be able to handle the educational system. And it can still be a challenge. That's true in my yeah. family. We're both social workers. My wife now is working in a school setting. It's not easy to navigate everything. And so what is that experience like for someone who doesn't have any of that experience and doesn't know, they've never heard of a 504 plan. They've, they don't know what an IEP is. That, that can be really intimidating or difficult. And that's why it's really important for professionals to be planting that seed even before the adoption happens to say, you know, this is likely going to come up. And, you know, one thing I want to talk about, Marcy, is we, we talk about adoptees utilizing services or adoptive families utilizing therapeutic services. And there, there's, a, there's a group out there that doesn't like that conversation. They think it might be stigmatizing towards adoptees or pathologizing adoption. And, you know, I think it can be really the very opposite. I think it can say, look at the response that, 
that these families are having, they're responding to needs that children have. And I think when we see, like I said, the majority of adoptees are getting an educational accommodation, what a great sign that adoptive families are helping meet needs, that our school systems are helping meet needs that exist. Of course, it's not just adoptees. Many, many children are getting educational accommodations or therapeutic services of some sort. But when we see that, you know, within the adoptee population, we can say, this is a great thing. They had parents who were present and were helping them meet those needs. It often doesn't happen if we don't have the supportive, you know, parents in that child's life. That's so important to point out. And just in case, um, I wanted to point out, I usually spell out the acronym. So IEP is Individualized Education Plan. So you can Google that. Uh, its acronym is just IEP, which so I don't want to lose anybody. I know the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, among many other groups, are your research partners. And I'm wondering if you can share with us a few of your recent research findings when it comes to adoption, specifically in the United States. Sure. Yeah. The Dave Thomas Foundation is awesome. They do their, their own research, Americans' attitudes towards adoption. They put it out every few years. And it, you know, I'm always eager to, to read it because they, they do such great work. They've also been really supportive of NCFA and including research projects, as you mentioned. Uh, they supported us when we um, did a survey of adoptive households. It ended up being the largest survey of adoptive households that's ever been done. We heard from over 4,400 adoptive parents that, that were parenting over 6,600 adoptees. So a huge study. Um, they were uh, a funder of it and, um, and, and very supportive throughout. Um, what Dave Thomas Foundation said to us is, you know, we want to have really good information about who's adopting, who's being adopted. We want this to be used for, you know, policymakers, for future adoptive families. We just want really good information out there. And you know, we're really excited about the, the research findings. Um, some of that is what we've talked about in terms of educational accommodations and therapeutic services. It shows a huge increase in the um, number of open adoptions. So if we're thinking through like a private domestic adoption, the, the number of ongoing uh, relationships that are maintained between birth family and adoptive family has been significantly rising over the years. And so the, the vast majority, you know, three quarters of uh, parents who are making an adoption plan now are maintaining a relationship with the child they place for adoption. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. It wasn't the case 20 years ago. Wow. Families who adopt a child uh, who's a different race than the parents are finding ways to maintain the, the connections to that child's race and culture um, in, in really different ways. So we, we ask families what they're doing on, on a series of questions, and the large majority of them are finding ways to maintain those connections. Wow. So you cover kind of interracial adoption and, and domestic infant adoption. Is there anything in the foster care adoption realm? That kind yeah, of so we, we did a lot on looking at uh, foster care as well, um, including the util utilization of services, um, the um, experiences that these families have, uh, the household incomes, the household sizes. Um, we also looked at um, secondary data. So we looked at the federal government um, um, puts out uh, reports on adoption every year and you can access their data files. So we looked at, we didn't just survey, we looked at all of the cases for a three-year period of time. So over 188,000 cases of wow. adoptions from foster care to give us a picture. Who are the adoptive parents? You know, what are their ages? What are the ages of the kids that are being placed for adoption? How many of them are connected to an adoption subsidy? The answer there, by the way, is 93%. 
of these adoptions are connected to an adoption subsidy. Um, you know, what, what are the household makeups of these families? And then what are their experiences? And so um, we, we have a lot of information. All of it is free and publicly available. We want families to be very informed, eyes wide open going into their adoption. And we want policymakers to be informed so that they can make better adoption informed decisions that are gonna impact you know, everyone that's connected. Yeah, that's good. Maybe I can link your findings so people can, and they're probably like, oh, what is that? Like, what is the demographic? What is the the household piece? And uh, subsidy is something, uh, it's usually a government term, I guess, that I've heard it in, but essentially it's it's like a cash, um, I don't want to call it grant, like the cash yeah, payments um, that's given to families. When you're, when you're a foster parent or your kids are deemed in foster care, the state gives you a, a monthly subsidy for that. And then there's some talk I know nationally happening because that amount reduces when a child's adopted. So when you adopt through foster care, that subsidy continues at a lower rate until the child's 18. But I know there are some states that are actually saying, wait a minute, this is backwards. <laughs> like when you're taking care of a child for a lifetime, we should rethink this. So I, I'm hopeful that we see some changes uh, in that kind of model. That, that's, you know, that's a, that's a great mindset. And, and to say, you know, maybe we're, we're not looking at this the right way. Adoption subsidy can also be a lot more than just financial assistance. It can be, you know, maintaining Medicaid. It could be connecting to certain services. It's important that families know they might be eligible for a subsidy. Don't finalize your adoption until you've had that um, eligibility review. And, you know, one area of misinformation that, that a lot of families don't know is that it can also be applicable in some private adoptions. It's not common, but for children who have a really significant medical special need, they might also qualify for an adoption subsidy. And again, we wouldn't want families to finalize the adoption and then be found that they're ineligible because the adoption was already finalized. So if you're pursuing an adoption of a child who has a really significant medical special need, get advice from an, an adoption um, agency or an adoption attorney who's informed on this before you do that finalization. Yeah, and uh, just for those that are listening that are thinking, well, I might adopt one day. Finalization means going to court and like officially adopting the child or something group. And so what Ryan's saying is don't do it after the court date, like do it well in advance. So I think that's exactly. super good advice because yeah. there's like this book is sealed and you can't quite go backwards. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it can be um, very difficult to untie that knot once it's once it's happened. And so we want to make sure we've we're, we're we're putting in place all the supports that may be necessary, you know, for families in the future. Even if they don't know that they're going to need, say, you know, Medicaid, we want to ensure that if the child's eligible for that, they have the supports in place. Yeah, that's such such good advice. So, Ryan, some listeners are trying to weigh the adoption options. Right? There's domestic, there's international, there's foster care adoption to figure out which ones right for them. And I know it's kind of a different answer for everyone, right? But you're someone that's also navigated in the space. And so I'm curious, as both an adoption professional and as an adoptive parent, can you give us any encouragement or insights into how you decided, okay, I know I want to adopt. Here's what I looked at when I decided how I wanted to pursue that. That's a great question. I think doing, you know, lots and lots and lots of research um, ahead of time is important. And if you're married, involve your spouse in this, you know, be thinking about not just how is this going to impact me? How is this going to impact my marriage? How is this going to impact the child? But everyone in the household needs to be part of that consideration. How are we all going to be impacted by the type of adoption that we're going to be pursuing? And then, you know, as we're thinking through that, we want to um, think through the different types of adoption. We're going to think through, you know, what's going to be the best fit for me? Where might I be eligible or ineligible, 
you know, what's the, the child profile or match that's going to be the best fit for my family, for, you know, those that, that um, would be joining our family. And then uh, we want to be talking to others, others who've had similar experiences. We want to do this in community of others who can be supportive to us, you know, before, during, and after the adoptive placement. And um, that that's only going to happen by putting ourselves out there and trying to connect with other families. Most of us don't already have that built-in network. It's something that we need to build. And, you know, once we're really informed, we're gonna, we're not just gonna stop. We're as we're taking steps forward, we're gonna continue to learn more and more. You could be doing this for decades and there's still plenty more to learn. There's more experiences to learn from. Uh, there's more individuals um, and their life experiences that we can be learning from. And so mm -hmm. it's really in some ways a never ending journey of continuing to inform ourselves, learning more and doing better. That's so good. Cause I think, you know, if I just share my own personal experience in this space, I think I spent like five years trying to research and the internet was like a whole different thing at that time. But I think what was interesting in my situation is my husband and I landed on older children. And because of his grandfather's experience, he said, I want them to be from the U.S. And so for us, we were like, OK, well, that kind of like eliminates some of the other opportunities. And that's really what led us to foster care adoption. And so I think what you you mentioned is really helpful, especially finding people. And um, if, if you're someone listening, it's thinking, well, I don't know anyone that, because I get that a lot. I don't know anyone that's mm -hmm. done this. I didn't know anyone that had done what I did. Um, what I did do though, to find other people is, because I found a couple of mentors in this space, is I went to like a family member and told them what our intention was. And she connected me, oh, I know someone. And so that person just opened their story to me. We actually message super late at night sometimes when I have parenting challenges. Um, and it was because I told someone I needed I needed a mentor in that space. And so it's not someone that like I quickly found by Googling online. Like I needed to go talk to another human being to learn of these right. other and, individuals. And for your listeners, that what you did is actually very normal. So it, it might feel really weird to put ourselves out there, but a lot of adoptive families and, and have had the experience of connecting with someone they didn't know who's asking questions. What was your family's experience like? And I think most of us want to share and be helpful. Most of us can point to resources that we've utilized in the past that might be helpful for them or somebody in their area. So, you know, you know, if somebody's out there and they're, um, maybe they're like me and they're a little bit more introverted, they don't, you know, always put themselves out. You know, I wanna encourage them to, to take that next step and do so because just as you said, Marcy, there are people who want to be responsive and can be there to help and support, to mentor, to inform and just come alongside and do this together. It's not always going to be a one-way street. Sometimes we're going to develop a friendship and then we might have support for them when things are difficult for them or when they're looking for a particular resource. So it's about being in that community and doing this together. Yeah, that's so good. Especially because when you're when you're doing stuff and someone else has already been doing for a while, there's there's so much to learn from someone who's been there and done that. Ryan, this has been so helpful on so many levels. So as we wrap and I think I may have said National Council on Adoption. I'm sure you get that all the time. It's actually National Council for Adoption. Sorry about that. No uh, but where can where can listeners go to find out more about your work and some of these resources you mentioned? Where would you point them? Yeah, so our website is adoptioncouncil.org and council is C-O-U-N-C-I-L. So adoptioncouncil.org um, is where they can find all of our contact information. They can sign up to get um, our the um, articles that we send out on a regular basis to find out the legislation that we're advocating for and, and much more. Um, they're also welcome to, to they can you know find our, our um, email or phone numbers through our website and to reach out and, and ask for additional resources. 
think it's so good. So listeners, I hope that you have taken away where to go to find information and also learned a little bit about, wow, there's like a whole ecosystem of different perspectives, whether it's policymaker to expected parent to adult who's been adopted. And so Ryan, you've really shed some great light and good food for thought. And I think that you're you're helping people know where to go. So I really appreciate that, Ryan. Hey, thanks for your show. I know your listeners are benefiting, even adoption professionals. When we're hearing these stories and we're hearing other uh, resources that are out there, it's beneficial for us too. So thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, happy to do so. As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping to raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 113,000 adoptable children in the United States. By leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, and talking about this podcast, you can help a child and sibling groups find their forever family. If you only have time to do one, sharing is the most impactful way to help a child who is waiting to be adopted. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling group through the foster care system, please visit my website, ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. There you will find how to get started using my new and free Forgotten Adoption Option app, and you can even order a copy of my book for adults, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which guides you through the entire process, and you can find my book for children of all ages, Are You Forever Family? You can pick from paperback, audio, and ebook formats, and you might even be able to find my books at your local library. Please keep me in mind as you're thinking of gift ideas and guest speakers. If you have any question about the process or you're wondering if you're even qualified to adopt, please reach out. Please send your friends and family my way too. You can easily find me by searching for Marcy Bursack on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I intentionally carve out time each week to encourage and teach people just like you. I really appreciate you tuning in, caring, and sharing because every child deserves to be in their forever family.